This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio Season 4, Episode 41. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 41 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Good morning. Good morning, Lynn. So today we're speaking once again with attorney Larry Altman. You may recall that we had an engaging conversation with Larry earlier this season about legal compliance in Title IX, and that was episode 29. So Larry is back again today to talk with us about schools' potential obligations to students experiencing the bystander effect, and we'll learn more about what that is. Welcome back to the show, Larry. Thank you. It's good to be back. All right. So you sent us a paper that you wrote called, Do Public Schools Have Assistance Obligations to Students Who Suffer from the Bystander Effect? Frame for us the main question behind your paper, and why should this question be on the radar of school leaders? Well, there has been a topic discussed among schools about bystanders who were observing inappropriate actions such as bullying and not reporting. And so the primary question was how do we uh, convert bystanders to upstanders is what they would call them. Well, as I looked into that issue a little bit more, uh, I found a couple of uh, papers written by clinical psychologists who discussed what they called the bystander effect and put and reminded schools that bystanders can suffer uh, from uh, forms of depression, anxiety, and PTSD uh, by doing nothing more than observing a bullying incident. So the start of the paper was to determine whether or not there was a difference between those that observed and reported and those that observed and did not report. And there's almost no clinical data, but the few that I found said, no, just being a bystander is enough, could be enough of a, quote, shock to uh, create issues for the bystander. So Starting that as a premise and then knowing that, uh, or at least I know, that special education laws under the Individual Disability Education Act at Section 504 have a requirement of what we call child fine to identify students that might qualify for special education services or disability, then the question arose, well, how far does that go? And so that was the starting point. So in your paper, you make some connections to the recent school shooting in Parkland, Florida, and... Um 
you referenced the bystander effect and sort of the starting point that you're sharing with us. How does that affect in the school's responsibility to students sort of intersect in that specific case? Well, what I did is, is going back, having this science background, I have an undergraduate degree in, as a bachelor of science in physics. Hmm. I postulated a theory as I said, if this type of bystander effect, whatever they call it, impacts people about bullying, then the next level was, what about those students that might be told that their friend is going to kill themselves and does. Mm -hmm. And then here comes the Parkland situation. So now the question came up, what about a major tragedy? And so I, there is no medical documentation to support this. I don't want to mislead anybody, but I was, but I was talking to a couple of uh, PhDs in special education and ran my theory by them and a couple of clinical psychologists. And they agreed, wow, there is no doubt that, for example, those students in Parkland are going to, many of them are going to be suffering some form of post-traumatic shock, uh, et cetera. And so I started scanning the Florida papers and even uh, USA Today, and, and there were reports coming out about students, uh, many students now seeking uh, mental health care providers for assistance because of the nightmares or whatever, parents reporting that teenage students were coming in the bedroom and sleeping on the floor because they were afraid. Mm -hmm. So when you combine all of that, I said, does this not, does this, if we know that these students are suffering from these anxieties, these, the depressions, uh, PTSD symptoms, that's no different than the bystander effect. That is a form of it. It's what it is. And so I just tried to connect the dots and prepared the paper to put schools on notice that we may have created an issue especially in the Parkland situation that maybe no one considered and that we need to be on the alert for it. So I'm curious, do we, do we know how Parkland's responding? Are they, is this even on their radar? Well, I, I don't know how they're responding because I don't know who's read the paper. Uh, and, and, and there would be no way for me to know unless somebody went down there and said, you know, we have noticed that our student population, uh, we've had an increase in, um, in our special education population, in our Section 504 population, and that those students that were already qualified uh, were seeming seem to have had greater issues. Now, what I've seen is there's been a couple of lawsuits filed, uh, but it's not directed so much at school as it is to the government for failure to take action. And part of the claims are anxiety, mental health issues, uh, all of those things that again relate back. Uh, to the premise of my paper is that whether they know it or not, somebody at some point might dawn on them that, that the school has dropped the ball on complying with uh, the federal statutory uh, special education 504 matters that are out there. Um, and so you're on notice that it's there. Now the question is, what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. And I have no idea what they will do, if anything. They, no school may do anything about this paper. Uh, until after the fact. I'm more of one of these, and, I, and it's how I operated when I was in-house in counsel, is that I wanted to get out of ahead of things, mm -hmm. is especially if I knew there was a problem nationwide. Uh, I never knew if it would happen to us. And so what I strived for was to get us ready just in case to have a plan in place. Being more proactive than reactive. Uh, and that's what I'm known about. Yeah. Uh, there's no <laughs> doubt that I, am, I, I have been my... my uh, good habit, bad habit. I'm very proactive. 
But as I said, what I'm finding interesting, as I said, is there's the case out of uh, out of uh, Arizona. And I actually dug back a little further. There was a case out of California in 2015 that I could relate to. It was a situation in which uh, inner city students were had come in as a class action and claimed that because of the traumas that they were exposed to in the inner city, shootings, drugs, uh, beatings, that they were suffering significant uh, emotional problems, anxiety uh, and issues, and said that this was interfering with their ability to be educated and that the school should have uh, been aware of those things and then move forward to see if they qualified for services. And the federal judge let them proceed. Mm. And so we're starting to see a couple of federal judges out there that are saying, you know what, that these kinds of lifetime experiences uh, can create issues that put schools on notice that there may be uh, students out there that qualify uh, that it's not school related yet mm-hmm. is in the background. Mm-hmm. And so having worked in an inner city school uh, over the course of five plus years, I'm sad to report there were shootings where we lost students, parents, whatever. And I didn't think about the, the trauma that might've caused the student population. But after reading these cases, I could certainly see if I went back in time, maybe there are a group of students that we should have been looking at, especially if we saw fall off in grades or escalated behaviors, that the anxiety certainly was the, was the contributing factor. And then if it was, assess the child's needs to see if, it, if that child qualified as a disability. Mm-hmm. So any kind of traumatic event uh, could have this residue that impacts uh, children. I can't say any type, and this is, I'm a data collector type of person. This goes to my science background. Uh, we've got, in Missouri, for example, there's a Missouri statute that was enacted in effect just this July 1st, schools need to comply with, that certainly discussed that if there's a suicide in school, schools now must have a plan of how that's going to be addressed inside the school culture. So somebody at the Missouri legislature recognized that there was a connection, that if there's a child who dies by suicide, a a member of that particular school, we need to be on the lookout for how we're going to address that. Well, somebody recognized the issue there. I I come back, though, and this is where what I talk about, about, if you notice in my paper, I talk about data collecting. And I couldn't tell you uh, that this incident always will result in X outcome. The only way you're going to find out about that is if a group of schools came together, and and I would hope no tragedies would ever hit a school. But if you collected data over a period of time and you started noticing that if there's a, uh, a, a school, one of the students dies by a drive-by outside of school, and we see this in 10 schools and we notice that this seems to impact 10% of the population, well, I think that we have some data to support something that I discuss in my paper. But maybe none of it impacts. Yet, as I said, as I look at the California case and in the Arizona case, I read those cases. Those lawyers had data to support what they were arguing with the judge that they'd gathered over the years. I'm sort of processing the data and where some of that data could come from. And as school leaders thinking about that data, you know, what else should we be thinking about in terms of these cases and um, how to be proactive as you're suggesting, as you're suggesting in terms of model policies or procedures or protocols to ensure that compliance, um, particularly post post tragedies. Well, going back to Missouri, if Missouri is talking about it, use the Missouri model that says we have to put into place, implement certain post, uh, 
post horrible strategies after the effect. One of the things that I would want to know is, is that I have a population of say 10% of my students are already under uh, under IDEA, 10% of my students are under Section 504, that means 80% don't. One of the things that I would want to be proactive about is, is that, as you notice, most of these things talk about having grief counselors in the buildings, et cetera, that are there available for the students after such a tragedy. What we we're trying to keep things confidential. I understand that, but what we might have to do is the is the beginning point is let's collect the data to see those students that are actually using the services, and then sort of watch those students over a period of 120 days to see what if any impact this might have on their education. Included in that pool would be if we're starting to get reports from parents after the fact that my child is now seeking help. Same deal. You would collect the data and then track where you are. Now, if you get enough numbers involved over enough bad incidents that I hope we never have, this might give you a trend so that now as I go down the path in the future, and I talk about this in my book or in the paper, the first draft you have is not going to be your final one because you're really out here in a new territory. You may learn some things that would require you to adjust how you approach this. But as I said, as, as sad as it is, uh, I'd like to tell you that Parkland's last one, but let's be candid, it's not going to be. We're going to see it, as horrible as it sounds, and I'm not trying to create problems, mm -hmm. it might happen again. And so I would certainly, if is that as a concern, I'd like to have as a background getting ready somehow for it. Mm -hmm. It's a reality. And if we're already in a school situation, it doesn't, by the way, have to be a shooting. What if you have a situation where uh, there's a massive automobile accident and the entire family's killed and two mm -hmm. of those students were in my school district mm -hmm. and they were well liked. It's the same kind of thing. It's a tragedy that we aren't expecting for, mm -hmm. for that. And now what is the impact? I don't know, but I've got to believe that there will be children in that school and teachers as well that are going to be shocked and horrified that they've lost two young people that they were that yesterday were here and today they're not. Mm -hmm. Well, you certainly, with this episode given us, and your paper, given us some, uh, as school leaders, given us some things, to, new things to think about. Uh, so we appreciate that. And uh, in your last episode, you shared actually this work as something that was upcoming for you. Is there anything new that you're working on now that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm doing some work in the Kansas City area with the ACLU, uh, in which the, the discussion is is... is there is data across the country to support the, the proposition that if you are a disabled student or, and it could be and or, a student of color, specifically male, that the, uh, the discipline that you might receive for a school infraction seems to be more severe than students who are a, for lack of a better, not of color and are not disabled. And the ACLU has already brought several cases around the country and succeeded in that. And then a few weeks ago, uh, the Department of Justice and the Department of Education published a, a study from, I want to say, the 2015-2016 year that supported that premise. And so the ACLU is trying to get proactive of, uh, in trying to get schools to understand that if you're going to punish, do it equally across the board. Uh, the prior administration in the January 14 
published a, uh, the Department of Education, Department of Justice published a directive to that point. But now after Parkland, there is a debate going on by some members of the current administration claiming that that publication was a direct link to the shooting because schools were being too easy on students. So there's this great mm. debate that the ACLU is not happy about the possible retrenching of that rule. And uh, having been inner, inner city school person and, and, a, and, a, and a very proactive superintendent who agreed with that finding, uh, they have asked for my assistance since I've written papers on that saying, mm. here's my opinion about that. That sounds like interesting work in terms of being very interconnected with some of the other work that you've done in some of the different layers that exist within that context. It is. And it, it, as I said, so retired is when I say I'm retired, my not so retired. Yeah, not so retired. <laughs> Although I confess yesterday, uh, twice a week, I'm chasing this little white dimpled ball. Okay. And I have to admit that there were a couple of calls that came in while I was on the course. I didn't answer. Mm. Good for I answered you. Them when I, got back. <laughs> I answered them when I got back, but I didn't take a time out on the, uh, as I was getting set up for the putt on the third <laughs> hole to take the call. So I'm guilty of that. So we look forward to seeing how that, that work evolves um, in terms of the potential bias and discipline and um, that research. That'll be interesting to see. And maybe we can talk further about that as you continue that work. I will. I'm always happy to share with you and your and your and those of your listening audience anything that you might think of being some use. I'm just honored and pleased you take the time to let me be on your radio program. I can tell you on behalf of the staff, my my the dean at, at Avila University, they are very they they thank you very much to allow one of their professors to be on board. Yeah. Our pleasure. Yeah, really interesting and and so timely. This content is so timely for all of us as leaders to be thinking about. Um, as we continue to, to support our learners um, through Absolutely. through their successes and also their challenges. Absolutely. No, you're right. I agree 100%. Thank you so much for joining us today, Larry. Um, for our listeners to learn more about Larry's work, you can check out the paper that's linked in the show notes. In each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's question... How has what you learned today shifted your thinking about the school's obligations to students potentially suffering from the bystander effect? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or check out the resources, that would be Larry's paper, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode 41. Can you believe 41? I know. It's, been, it's been a great year. Thanks again, Larry, for being here and uh, have a great weekend. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. 
head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.